This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. During each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we invite some of the best chefs in the world, noted food writers, to come in and talk to us about a specific ingredient, how they're using it in the kitchen, why they love it. A lot of times these items are pantry staples for these chefs and they can't go without them. We'll then be talking to food producers, artisan food makers, farmers about those specific ingredients, how they're produced, where they're made, what makes them unique and why chefs love them. This episode, we are going to be talking about truffles with the one and only Truffle Dog. Ooh. How did you get that nickname, John? My first job in the food industry was actually involved with truffles. I have a very interesting story to tell. When I was 19 years old, I went out to dinner. I was in college and I did a junior year abroad in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And I was taken out for my birthday, for my 19th birthday, and I had a dish with truffles. I did not know what I was ordering at that time. This is, you know, I grew up in suburban New York. Right. It wasn't like truffles were really something that came across my radar very often. But I was at this dinner. I saw a dish of sea scallops with black truffles on the menu. And I just thought it sounded cool. I didn't even know what a truffle was. I had no idea what it was. The dish was served to me. The aroma and the flavor. The first thing that struck me was that I've had this dish before. Like I knew the flavor. It was very Mm. deja vu-esque kind of experience. After that meal, I became very fascinated. Then I learned, oh, this is a mushroom that grows underground and they're very rare and they're prized. And the only way you can find them is with pigs or dogs. Mm -hmm. It kind of started me off on a course of becoming very interested and ultimately part of my like livelihood. Yeah. I mean, you started the fresh truffle program at Chef's Warehouse. I did. You know, we continue to be... I think one of the top places that people call. Yeah. I mean, it's a niche market. I've now been at this for almost 30 years. Yeah. But tell listeners the truffle market in New York City. I think it's so interesting. I was a few months ago at a meeting at Via Corota. While we were in the meeting, this guy with a backpack shows up, you know, takes out all of his truffles on a table. The chef, you know, kind of excused herself and she went over and she was, you know, hand selecting and he got out his scale. It's a lot like a drug deal. It it looked like a drug deal. So... For many years, I used to run around the streets of New York City with a cooler bag and a digital scale Mm -hmm. and a little handwritten book for invoices. And you would go, as you just described, door to door to these great restaurants and sell the truffles. And the reason that's done is the truffles are so expensive. And as an example, this year, this is a very difficult season for white truffles. A pound of white truffles right now is over $4,000. It's unheard of. Right. And if you're a chef and you're buying these, you really want to see them. You want to touch them if you can. You want to smell them. You want to make sure that they're of the highest quality. Because if you're paying $4,000 for a mushroom per pound, it's got to be great quality. Right. So the sales are done face to face. The digital scales put on the table, either in the kitchen or in the dining room. And the chef hand selects the truffles. The deal is done. A hand invoice is written and you're on your way to the next stop. So why are truffles so expensive? I mean, they're essentially double what they typically are. Right. So fresh white truffles are among the most rare foods on the planet. Fresh white truffles only occur for about 10 weeks of the year, if that. What's the season? Mid-October to the end of December. Mm -hmm. So you got a very short growing season. Then you take into the account that Fresh white truffles are 100% wild. They cannot be cultivated. 
So you can't just, you know, start a truffle farm in Virginia or somewhere in the world. Fresh white truffles only occur in a very small geographic area in northern Italy. The area around Alba and Piemonte is very famous for them. Mm -hmm. Small pockets of Eastern Europe, a little bit of Central Italy. And that's it. So you've got this very tight geographic region, the fact that it's a short season and people go crazy for them. And that drives the price up. Now, this year in particular was a very warm and dry growing season in Europe. And because of that, there's virtually no truffles on the market. And what is available is not enough to meet the demand of the the customers that want them. You know what I've noticed though, John, even though they're so expensive, you would think that would be a like a deterrent from chefs. We're still selling a ton of truffles right now. And I don't know if it's because people are back out because of COVID and they're excited and they want to have like these big experiences. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing. Yeah, no, uh, listen, the orders are coming in. Once people get a taste for white truffles, they're willing to pay a lot of money for them. They are like a drug. So what are the differences between the white Alba truffles and black truffles? So when you talk about fresh truffles, you really have three truffles that are the most widely sold. So we just talked about the fresh white truffles, the most rare, the most expensive. Then you have black winter truffles, which are also very expensive. Those will typically range around $800 a pound, maybe sometimes up to a thousand a pound. Those come primarily from France, Spain, and Italy. The thing about black winter truffles is they can be cultivated. The season for black winter truffles is typically the beginning of December until March, and they'll hit a peak generally sometime in late January. Totally different product, but also really highly prized by gourmets. Mm -hmm. And then the third truffle, which I'm not a huge fan of, but they do sell quite well, is something known as a summer truffle, a fresh summer truffle, is a black truffle on the outside with a beige interior, those also can be cultivated. To me, they don't have a lot of flavor. They're they're mushroomy at best. And their price range anywhere from $150 to $300 a pound. And they're available as, you know, we say summer truffles from May until September. I really think in the last five plus years, truffle has kind of exploded as a flavor. You know, truffle french fries, truffle potato chips. I saw an ad on my Instagram for truffle hot sauce, which grossed me out. But what do you think of kind of this adulteration of truffles. I mean, you see a lot of people taking advantage of that word truffle and simply the connotation of the word says luxury. I'm a bit of a purist when it comes to a lot of these things. So I have no issue with someone who wants to sprinkle, you know, truffle salt on their popcorn or put a small amount of truffle oil into a soup to give it a truffle, you know, aroma. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I guess my biggest thing would be everything in moderation with those type of products because they can become a bit too much when they're overused. Rowan Jacobson is going to be joining us today to talk about truffles and his new book, Truffle Hound. Yeah, I'm excited. He's uh, an acclaimed author. He wrote a, a fantastic book about oysters. He's written several articles for some really amazing magazines. And so we're really lucky to have him joining us today. Along with Federico Balestra, yeah. From Sabatino. Federico's the uh, founder of Sabatino Truffles USA. He's a good friend. He's one of the most knowledgeable truffle people on the planet. So There are supplier of truffles at Chef's Warehouse. They're one of our suppliers. So this is going to be a really uh, dreamy episode for me. I love talking about truffles. As I mentioned, I got my start in the business with truffles. So I'm really excited today to be talking to uh, our guests about truffles. 
This episode is in partnership with The Chef's Warehouse and produced by Hey Now Media. Well, this is really great, Andrea. Today, we've got Rowan Jacobson joining us. He's got a new book called Truffle Hound. And I want to just tell a little... Wait, 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 wait. So on this line, we have Truffle Hound and Truffle Dog? Well, I'm the Truffle Dog. (laughs) Rowan's much more than just the Truffle Hound. No, we're so excited to have you on, Rowan. Thank you. And I'm actually so jealous that John stored that Instagram handle before me or anyone else could get to it. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. So very interesting story. About, I want to say a month ago, month and a half ago, I got an email from a local bookstore. It's called Booksy Galore in Pound Ridge, New York. Mm -hmm. And the owner of the store said to me, John, I've reserved three copies of Truffle Hound. I hadn't heard about the book yet. And I was like, oh, great. What is Truffle Hound? And I did a little bit of research and I'm like, wonderful. So before I got a chance to even go over to the store to pick them up, I was actually in Piemonte in Italy last week and I was staying at a friend's house. Lucky me. I'm rolling my eyes. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) Someone has to do this kind of stuff. But the reason I'm telling you this part of the story is I walked into my bedroom in the house and on the bedside table, my friend who owns the house left me a copy of Truffle Hound on the bedside table and said, welcome to Italy. So nice. Wow. We have to get Rowan on Ingredient Insiders. We got to talk to him because this is just a great book. It's called Truffle Hound, On the Trail of the World's Most Seductive Scent with Dreamers, Schemers, and Some Extraordinary Dogs. Rowan, where did, how did, where did this even come from? Um, you, well, you know, for me, it started right there in Piemonte. Uh, and it's, it's interesting that the book has arrived there. I'm a little worried that, you know, they're going to get the pitchforks out when they find out about it. But I, I thought I had a little more time <laughs> before they discovered it in Italy. For me, it started, I was actually in... Uh, Alba or in Barolo actually to uh, give a talk about terroir to a, a group of hardcore foodies and not coincidentally we it, the trip coincided with peak white truffle season I got you know I got a shot at a couple of really really high quality truffles just out of the out of the ground and the smell was so extraordinary I really think it's maybe the the uh, the best smell on the planet or the most impressive smell on the planet anyway it made me realize that my my truffle experiences I'd had before then were not anything like that, had been a little underwhelming and I hadn't quite understood what all the fuss was about. And suddenly I totally understood what all the fuss was about and I wanted to find out more. You saw the light. That's very cool. And do, so you grew up in Vermont or you live in Vermont now? I did. I actually grew up in Vermont and then was away in Florida for 10 years and then came back as an adult. So, so yeah, both, both ends of the East Coast, I might say. Yes. One of the things about white truffles that, you know, because I often have people tell me, I don't get it. I don't understand why they're so expensive. I had a similar experience to what you just described the first time I really, you know, smelled truffles in in a great way and and had the proper amount. You know, I always go back to these folks and say, it's not that the truffles aren't amazing. It's that you just haven't had them either in the right place or the right quantity because they are so expensive it's almost cost prohibitive for restaurants today to give the proper amount of truffles on a plate of food that you should experience. 
I totally agree. And um, I have some ideas about what to do about that, but I'm sure you do too. No, we and, would love to hear your ideas about that. Yeah, especially now because, right, we're talking about this. Like there's just, there was an article recently and John was quoted in it. The, the price of white truffles has gone to even more insane heights than it is usually at um, due to supply and demand this year. So if chefs are going to just like put a little, you know, a smidge of white truffle on a dish, they're not going to do themselves any favors because it's still going to be an expensive dish. And the diners aren't going to get that, you know, that drug-like kick that you get from a really, a really serious white truffle experience. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing. Even with black winter truffles, I always draw this example to people and they're like, I didn't taste a lot of truffle. I don't understand why they're so sought after. And I always revert back to the fact, if you look at an old cookbook from the 1950s or the 1960s with a chef like Paul Bocuse, and he has a roast chicken recipe in there. So it's a four pound roast chicken. And I think the recipe calls for well over a pound of fresh black truffles. Inflation adjusted, that pound of truffles back then probably cost $50, maybe $100. Today, if you were to do a chicken, call it $20, and a pound of black winter truffles, call it $800 average, that's an $820 dish for a couple of people. So right away at a restaurant, it's impossible. They yeah, can't chef, do that. You can't make any money. If you want to do it at home, you've got a lot of disposable income. And, yeah. you know, that's the sad reality is that it, it has become very difficult to kind of serve the right amount. That's a, you know, that's a big example. You don't need a pound for a single yeah, chicken. Yeah. But when you really get down to what truffles were, how they were served and what the amount is, you know, we've gotten a far away from that place. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really important point. And I think one Maybe one thing uh, that chefs can think about doing is sort of re-envisioning um, what a truffle dish should be. Like you, be, the rum of truffles is going to get diluted in whatever airspace it can fill. So I think what, one trick for chefs is rather than do something that's open where the smell is just going to slowly diffuse into the room and, and you're going to get less intense hit from it, minimize that airspace. A recipe in the book for uh, like a chawanmushi, like a Japanese egg custard, a savory egg custard, and which is traditionally served like a teacup with a lid on it. And that gives the truffle that's in the dish a chance to really fill that that little tiny bit of airspace. Any of us who have had a chance to like hang out in, in walk-in coolers, which have lots of truffles in them, that's when you get that hallucinatory like blast of scent is when the truffles have had a time to fill the space and then you go into that space. I love that idea. And when you said that, it reminded me, my early days in the food industry, my primary role was to sell truffles. Often that would be loading my car with cooler bags full of kilos of truffles. You know, there were days when I had 40 or 50 pounds of fresh white truffles in the back seat of my car. And I can <laughs> tell you a couple of things pop into my head right now as well. One is I used to get headaches by the afternoon just because it was so intense. And like, anything, like roll the windows down. Oh and, my God. Yes, yeah. I would. In cold days, I remember rolling the windows down. And then and you've got dogs and pigs. Right. of New York City. The other thing that you'll sometimes notice is that once you have a, an aroma that's continually around, you don't kind of smell it anymore, but I would leave yeah. the car, come back to it and like get hit with this. I was at restaurant Danielle and Danielle Baloud was 
outside the restaurant and I opened the door to the car and he, you know, immediately got that sensation and he came and he sat down in the car with me for about 15 minutes. And (laughs) to your point, it was completely intoxicating for him. You know, those, those are the memories I have. I love that idea of the cloche Mm -hmm. on top of the dish with truffles because the gases that are coming off the truffle, you know, that aroma is perfectly captured in that way. So that's a great point. We're going to have to try that recipe, Andrea. Yeah. And the experience, it only takes a few seconds to have that oh wow moment you know we've all seen people have it yeah what you call the oh wow moment i call the truffle gasm <laughs> yeah <laughs> that we came up with that yeah. in uh Italy a couple of years ago. We were in a dining room at a restaurant uh, just outside of Barolo. There was a patron at a, a neighboring table who started moaning when the, when the yeah. troubles came yeah. out and all of you know m- me and my group of friends looked over at the table and that's when the truffle-gasm was born. Like when Harry <laughs> met Sally, exactly. like that kind of moment? Ex- precisely. So Rowan, totally I want to yeah. ask you a little bit about your book, kind of diving into what you cover exactly on the cover, World's Most Seductive Scent, which we just talked about, Dreamers, Schemers, and Extraordinary Dogs. Tell us about the dreamers and the schemers. <laughs> <laughs> well, truffles attract uh, weird people, right? For very John's for a obvious weird. reasons. right and i did choose to write about truffles i could have written about a lot of things but uh, i was i was seduced along with many others before me well a they're super expensive right and they're completely off their books they're a wild food so when anytime you've got a very expensive ingredient that's being hunted in the wild and sold through unofficial channels you've immediately got a lot of intrigue and possibilities for excitement and and weirdness that you don't get with a, a product that is more a part of the normal food economy and then when you add this incredible sort of like drug-like impact that they have on people you get people doing things that probably don't make a whole lot of sense like there are so many people in the US now who have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, in truffle orchards that may produce 10 years late after the fact, if they do perfect maintenance on them, it's very unlikely that they will ever pay off. But truffles just have a way of getting in your head and making you make decisions that, um, you know, the morning after might not look so good. (laughs) Where in the U.S. are they trying to do this? All over the place. It's mostly the black truffle, the the paragord. Basically anywhere that that's a winter truffle. So anywhere that your ground won't be frozen um, in January when the truffle is ripe. California has uh, the most probably anywhere. A lot of wineries have devoted sections of their land to truffle production. It's kind of a natural uh, fit for them. It's a way to draw people in, pair something fun with the wines. Uh, But also North Carolina has tried to go hard in it. The state spent a lot of money trying to convert tobacco farmers to maybe being truffle farmers with mixed success. I visited truffle farms in Kentucky that were making delicious truffles in Virginia, North Carolina, Texas. They're trying it all over and Pacific Northwest. What kind of crop are they getting? I'm fascinated right now. Andrea's shopping online right now for truffle trees. What kind of weight are they pulling out? Yeah, very small. So far, the most successful truffle orchard right now in the U.S. is Jackson Family Wines out in Santa Rosa. And on 10 acres, they're getting about 30 pounds a year. Most truffle orchards are getting like one pound a year if they're lucky. Very small amounts, but they're all, all the orchards are kind of at that 10 to 12 year point where they should start producing more. But that's the black winter truffle. Some other truffles seem like they might end up working a lot better in the U.S. There's another truffle farm in North Carolina that is using the Bianchetto truffle, uh, which is another white truffle from Italy. It's kind of considered inferior to 
a great white truffle, but still a perfectly decent truffle. And they produced 200 pounds last year. And it looks like they're going to do it again this year. Uh, I'm glad you uh, brought that one up. I've been getting solicited by that farm on social media. I am not a fan of the Biancato. It is absolutely edible. It is used in Italy and other parts of the world as a preserved truffle. But I think it's a little misleading because this is a white truffle, Andrea, mm-hmm. that occurs usually, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rowan, in, in the springtime, like early, you know, late winter, early spring, as opposed to the fall when you have the, you know, the real tuber magnatum mm. white truffle, the alba truffle. And I find it a little misleading. Is it lack of aroma, lack of flavor? Like what about it? What I don't like about it is that it has a very intense, the way my nose picks it up mm-hmm. is it's almost like a benzene, very like chemical? chemically yeah. kind of smell to it that I find offensive. That's an issue. Yeah. With that truffle, because if, if you just call it a white truffle, you're not technically wrong, but it's not the same as tuber magnatum uh, at all. And yeah, a lot of people point out that gasoline smell that it, mm-hmm. it has, along with garlic. It's definitely a truffle. You smell it, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's definitely a truffle. In Europe, it's it's considered more of a, a value truffle. So I would call all of what we're talking about the dreamers. And now I want to know about the <laughs> schemers. <laughs> John was in the in the business. He's met plenty oh, of schemers. A lot of schemers. I, I've, I've met more schemers than dreamers. But I don't think a lot of people know about the schemers, and I think that's interesting. I'll give a short anecdote about a schemer. Okay. A couple of them, but here's the first one. In the mid-1990s, we got a phone call early in the morning that a giant truffle had just been unearthed in Piemonte, outside of Asti. And the truffle weighed over a kilo, or just at about a kilo. It was 2.18 pounds. That's huge. Yeah, just under a kilo. Almost like a, not a volleyball, but almost that size. And, you know... You'd have to, like, put it on a burkle to, like, slice it. Yeah, well, that's always a question. How do you slice a giant truffle like that? (laughs) And we said, you know what? Let's bring it in. In the mid-1990s, a truffle like that, you know, a pound of truffles back then, white truffles. My guess is going to be, and this is kind of shocking when... I tell you that today's prices are over $4,000 a pound. Mm-hmm. A pound of truffles then was about $300 for fresh white truffles. This one truffle, though, because of its rarity and size, was actually about $7,000 for the piece because it was a trophy. We agreed to take it. The truffle showed up in New York the next day. The, you know, the whole process is very quick with these. And when we got it into our warehouse and office and inspecting it, and this truffle had little nooks and crannies, which naturally occur from pebbles and roots and stuff like that, we found that along the way, someone had stuffed a stainless steel buckshot into the little nooks and crannies <laughs> to increase the weight on an already giant truffle. <laughs> I was, Why would I they was, do that? Because it meant a couple more dollars. It was shocking. Shocking. Schemer. That's schemer story number Rowan, one. Rowan, we need a schemer story from you. Well, that's that might be the best one I've heard. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, only in Italy, right? <laughs> yep. The classic scheme was um, importing Chinese truffles, which is another species, which don't have any smell, but look very much like the French black truffles, uh, passing them off as the great truffles, the French truffle. This was big in the 90s as well, into the early 2000s. I don't think it happens as much as more, but chefs would buy all these black winter truffles and, and there would be these Chinese truffles cut into the the supply, like like you would cut baby powder into cocaine. It was impossible to tell that they didn't have any smell when they were mixed in, like. 3070 with with the good truffles. There was a lot of that going on like 20 years ago. Most of the dealers I, I talked to told me chefs, they weren't really buying based on smell. They were looking at the truffles and were buying more based on looks. And most chefs actually haven't had that much of a chance to have enough truffle experiences to start 
telling the good ones from the bad ones. Like people who deal in ingredients always have like a much higher level of intimate knowledge of them that, that I find than either food writers or chefs do just because of that constant exposure to them. Yeah, the Chinese truffle thing was, I mean, I can tell you every time we would walk into a restaurant trying to sell black winter truffles and to Rowan's point, we, you know, you'd lay out five pounds in front of a chef for them to select. A, it would smell great because you have all the truffles in there. And to our knowledge, we never had Chinese truffles in there, but who knew what happened, you know, along the way of the importation. You know, when that scandal broke, every chef would accuse me, you put Chinese truffles in here. Almost every sale. Yeah. And I'd be like, wow. you know, we didn't. I mean, these came from Italy. It is almost impossible to visually tell the difference between a Chinese truffle black winter and a French black winter truffle. And they also occur at a similar time of the year. A Chinese black truffle, just as an example, they've gone up in price, but back in the 90s were about $20 a pound versus a French truffle, which was in the hundreds of dollars a pound. Yeah. And once you're dealing with anything that is very expensive and highly sought after with a low mm-hmm. supply, people are going to figure out a way to cheat. That's what I was about to say too. And then the other aspect is that there's very low information about, there hasn't been that much information out there about truffles. The wine world, you know, you've got an expensive product, bit a little scheming here and there, but there's also an incredible amount of knowledge out, out there about wine. Wine world's really good about doing that part of the business, the intellectual part of it. And the travel world has traditionally had zero interest in letting anybody know. <laughs> um, like these are just organisms that like shadows. They like the underground and the people drawn to them seem to like the same kind of things. But that was part of the reason I wrote the book is because I feel like if we can just raise the general level of knowledge about truffles out there, that then it'll also raise the level of excitement and just like better things will happen in general. Yeah. So on your research for the book, did you go truffle hunting? Oh yeah, all over the place. Seven countries. It was different in every country and and different with every hunter. It's interesting. I went truffle hunting in both Southern England and Hungary with some incredibly skilled dogs and and very good human hunters. In both those cases, they kind of had a mind meld with their dogs who both happened to be black labs. Uh, Interestingly. Is that like Uh, the preferred truffle dog? LOL. Well, the herd truffle dog is the Lagotto Romagnolo, which is an Italian breed that's actually bred specifically for truffle hunting. There's a, a cult of Lagotos going on everywhere, um, but now it's really hit the U.S. Lagotto's a hot property now. These two black labs were just incredibly good and incredibly calm, where the hunter would just say like, okay, today we're hunting white truffles or today we're hunting black truffles. And, you know, the, the dog would sort of like salute and go to the woods and just casually mark the spot where the uh, where the truffles truffle was i actually hunted with some lagoda romagnolos in oregon for the native oregon truffles and these dogs were spectacularly good at finding the truffles but they wanted to eat every truffle they found so hunting with those dogs literally involved running as fast as you can through the douglas fir and throwing yourself on the ground every few minutes to try to grab the truffle before the dog eats it and still losing like a third of the truffles to the dog. So those are like the extremes of truffle hunting. That's funny. Wow. Those dogs need to be retrained. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of an abundance mindset. So there's so many of those truffles in Oregon that this guy, who's one of the, you know, the best in the business in the US, he would give his dog dogs like ribeye off the grill when they when they found truffles when he was training them. So for them, this was the best thing in the world. So he just turns them loose. He knows they're gonna get a lot of the truffles, but he's still gonna come home with, you know pockets full of truffles. So he's okay with the bargain. Did you get a chance to go truffle hunting with a pig anywhere? You know, as far as I can tell, there are no pigs. It's all dogs everywhere that I visited. 
Yeah, and I think when did that transition I think, happen? I, I think they've retired. I think that transition happened when people got smart enough to realize that dogs are much more fun to live with than pigs, <laughs> and also that when a pig smells a truffle, it it does want to eat it. it. Pheromones in the truffle get the the pig excited and it wants to eat them. You know, and I also I once asked that question to an Italian truffle hunter, and he said, "I can't fit a pig in the in my Fiat." <laughs> if you're loading a pig in your car, everyone knows exactly what you're up to. You know, yeah. there's no hiding it. Like in France, you hear a lot of stories about like nine fingered truffle hunters because they lost the battle with a pig over the truffle or something. Rowan, if you were to impart wisdom on somebody, what would be the number one thing you would want them to know about truffles? In terms of using them in the kitchen, the, the thing that really changed, changed the game for me was infusing foods ahead of time with truffle. Like John was talking about, that smell is super pervasive in a contained area like a car or a walk-in. So what some of the best chefs I've met with do to sort of get the most bang for their buck out of truffles, put the truffles in a closed container, like a, a tub. They have ways of capturing all of that scent that the truffle is cranking out ahead of time through infusing other foods with truffle. So anything that's in a fridge with a truffle that has fat in it, like butter or cream, will absorb those intense volatiles that are coming off the truffle and hold them. They'll actually hold them better than the, the live truffle will in a way. You can really multiply the amount of truffle scent you deliver in a dish by putting the truffles in your fridge ahead of time with eggs, butter, cream, whatever, for a couple of days at least, and just letting all those scent molecules find their way into the other foods. And then you cook with the other foods and you almost just need to put the truffle on top for visuals, the fats will, will have the truffle aromatic in them and will sort of more slowly release them. So that to me is like a game changer. Yeah. It almost sounds like when you take a vanilla bean and you stick it in sugar to infuse the vanilla flavor throughout. You know, one of the, the misconceptions though is rice, but a lot of people used to preserve their mm -hmm. truffles in rice. It dries the truffle out prematurely because rice, you know, when you, now that whole thing, if you drop your phone in water, you put it in a bag of rice, yeah. the rice has a, a way of pulling moisture out of the truffle that is detrimental to the truffle because it's made up mostly of water. You don't want to do that. And people say, well, well, you know, the the aroma of the truffle is going to be infused in the rice. But the reality is when you cook a rice dish, particularly risotto, so much heat is applied to the food, to the rice, that any piece of that truffle aroma that was there is lost during the cooking process because it's long and extreme high temperature. One thing we always say is do not store them in rice. That's actually one of the number one questions or whenever we're, we're talking to someone who has not purchased truffles from us before, how to store them, cold and dry, wrap them in dry paper towels, put them in a Tupperware if you'd like, put a lid on it so everything in your fridge does not have that aroma if you don't want that and keep it as cold as you can in the fridge and use them as quickly as possible. White truffles, I always say, use within three days. Mm -hmm. Black winter truffles, I always say, please try to use them You know, within a week. I'm always cautious about that because really you can get a week out of a, a very fresh white truffle and you can get two weeks out of a fresh black truffle if they're held properly. But if you're spending that amount of money, you want to like get them in and use them ASAP. Uh, that's what my hope always is. Yeah. I want happy customers. Rowan, how do you feel about truffle oil? Well, that would be the other schemers thing that we didn't touch on yet. Truffle oil doesn't have any truffle in it. It's a synthetic chemical made to, to mimic one of the scent compounds in a white truffle. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's like any other artificial flavoring. But a lot of people 
including chefs, don't realize that truffle oil didn't come out of a truffle. It's just like olive oil with, with a chemical scent in it. It gets used a lot now. And that's for most people what their experience of truffle is. And because it's, you know, it's super cheap to use, you can use a lot of it. So you can really hit people with a, a super intense cloying, to me, um, artificial smelling impression of truffle. Some people get turned off by that smell after a few exposures to it. But also then when people smell real truffle, which is much more complex, but more subtle, usually they're sometimes underwhelmed by it. They haven't come to expect the right thing. So yeah. I think it's problematic in some ways. I have very mixed emotions about it because a good truffle oil, you know, it kind of captures the truffle experience for a tiny fraction of the cost of real truffles. Like it's got to a... be used sparingly when it's used or otherwise it be does become offensive and not truffle-like in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't use truffle oil, but I understand. I know, I know, and I know people who love it. They put it on popcorn. They put it on soups. They do I put know, it all on these popcorn. things. They put it on their eggs. It does give you that aroma. To Rowan's point, it is, it's a, it's a flavoring. Nothing to do with actual truffles in that oil. I, I totally understand why chefs uh, use it. Their customers, if they're paying, um, you know, a certain amount for a truffle dish, they want to sort of get hit over the head with truffleness. So it can help do that. It can enhance the little tiny bits of truffle that are in the dish. My hunch is that that the truffle gasm is caused by lots of you know uh, molecules that the truffle is giving off that aren't necessarily the ones that we smell consciously. They're they're like pheromones, basically. You're not going to get the truffle gasm from the oil. I love this. Uh, now yeah. you're speaking my language. I feel like it's going <laughs> to well, truffle gasm is going to be in the dictionary. Not soon. just the truffle gasm yeah. thing, but you know, I've told Andrea this story before. The first time I ever ordered truffles, I did a junior year abroad in Switzerland. Uh, my birthday is in December. I was taken out to dinner for my birthday. Twenty years old. At that meal, I ordered a dish of scallops with what was black. It said scallops with truffles in French on the menu. And it was black winter truffles, um, which I later came to know. I don't know that I'd ever heard of the word truffle. Again, this is in the late 1980s. So there was no such thing as truffle oil in the United States at that time. And, you know, I think the percent of the population that was eating truffles in the United States back then was probably 0.001 versus today where it's still low, but it's it's a much more widely known product. Anyhow, I ordered this dish with truffles. It came to the table and I immediately, you know, was hit with this in incredible, beautiful perfume from this dish. And the first thing that I remember thinking was, like, I know I've smelled this before. I've had this before, but what is it? It was this nostalgic kind of aroma. Wow. That was very, yeah, it was very intense. And I ate it and I was like, this is incredible. But I kept saying, and I remember, you know, the person I was eating was saying, taste this, try this. Have you had, like, I've had this experience before. This uh, is like you your know, first truffle memory? Yeah. And this was, you know, one of those, like, the beam of light came through the it, room. I, yeah. I ended up, it was the past life. Yeah. yeah. It ended up, you know, turning my life into I, my career right. into, I could have gone a lot of different directions at that point. I became completely fascinated with truffles, graduated from college and ended up mm -hmm. going right into the truffle, truffle university. Yeah. So it, there's something magical yeah. about truffles. And you pointed out, you know, it isn't just this basic smell and taste. There's something magical that goes on with them. And I'm not talking about psychedelic stuff because we could talk about those. Oh, I would love too. an episode on that. But there is something very deep 
about truffles. Rowan, what's your yeah, first truffle memory? It's so interesting uh, what Don was just saying, because when I was looking back at the, how other people had described truffles to the eras, that's what I kept noticing was that so often the descriptions, when they're trying to capture that experience they'd had, they would fall back on emotional, nostalgic descriptions of memory from a past life, or, or sometimes they refer to them as like prenatal memories. Through scent, they tap that little part of your brain where memory resides and emotions reside. And they just sort of like tickle some sort of obscure early memories that you can't even put your finger on, but it's a, a really pleasant thing. And I think that's just their way of getting animals interested in them. I've actually not heard that before. Yeah. Check, check. Um, I think the second chapter of my book, I go through some of these quotes from various uh, great food writers. And it's, it's so interesting what they all have in common. Amazing. I'm going to read that. Rowan, we want to have you on again to talk about oysters and some of the other amazing books that you have written. But thank you so much for taking the time to speak with John and me all about truffles. Yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for the time. Well, thanks, you guys. This was really great. And it's great to be able to go so deep on, on some of this nerdy stuff. This episode is sponsored by Sabatino Truffles USA, a great partner of the Chef's Warehouse. So, Andrea, today we've got a very good friend in the studio, awesome guy, and really one of the pioneers of truffles in the United States, Federico Balestra whose family owns a company or formed the company, Sabatino Truffles. We're so excited to have him here. Welcome. Thanks for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. Federico and I met a long time ago in New York City. How did you guys meet? I think you had just moved to New York, you and your sister. 1998. 1998. He had an office down the street from where I was working in Long Island City. And this is the old Long Island City. This is not the fancy place that Long Island City is today. This was like a very industrial place. And I remember walking up the stairs to go to their small office because they had just moved here to start Sabatino Truffles USA. And we met each other and I said, oh, what a nice you know, brother and sister. It turns out this family has how many years of history of truffles in Italy? I mean, you guys have been around forever. We've been around, the company started in 1911 in Umbria by my grandfather. His first name is Sabatino. That's where the name came from. And uh, my grandmother, Giuseppina. And that's where we started in Umbria in 1911. Wow. In 10 years this year. That's incredible. I mean, I think most people know what truffles is, mm -hmm. but what, what is a truffle? Truffle is uh, basically a tuber. And a lot of people confuse truffle with mushrooms, but truffle and mushrooms are completely different families. Actually, truffles are on the family of the potatoes because they grow below the ground. They're tuber. And uh, mushrooms grow above the ground, uh, at least the majority. Truffle grow and feed itself from the roots of the tree. It can be uh, hazelnut trees, oak trees, and it can be a plopper. It depends on the quality of the truffles. And basically grow as a living being of the roots of the tree. And can grow from uh, one inch below the ground to 20 inches, 15, 20 inches below the ground. Depends on the quality, depends how hard is the soil. How many truffles are there that that people can eat? There is over 250 species, but commercially valuable, there is uh, four or five species. There is uh, two on the black side, black summer, black winter, and there is a two on the white. Albus truffles and Bianchetto truffle is a lower quality white uh, growing in a different season than Alba truffles. Four big categories. 
And what are the seasons for those truffles? Let's start with white. White, you have October to December for Alba truffles. And uh, we are, right now we are in the middle of the season. In January, we're going to start with the Bianchito truffle, finish around March, April. The peak of the season is in March. That's why it's also called Marzuolo, I mean truffle from March. And then we have black summer truffles in May and finish in October about. And then we have black winter truffles start in October and uh, finish in uh, March. Basically, all year we have uh, uh, no stop of truffle. We've got different seasons, different truffles. So there's always a truffle available any month of the year. The two truffles that when I think of truffles and when super high-end restaurants, we talk about truffles, they're primarily focused on the black winter truffles. Exactly. And the white truffles from Alba that you just described. They're so expensive. Normal year, what's the price for white truffles? White truffle can vary from uh, the 3,000 to 6,000 uh, pounds. Mamma mia. <laughs> <laughs> I know, crazy expensive. But there is a reason for because a white truffle, well, first, cannot be cultivated. And everybody tried, everybody fell. And, uh, and it's extremely complicated, uh, point number one. Point number two is extremely difficult to find because white truffles, first, is very deep. You need the very enhanced dogs to find, very expert truffle hunters. Another big problem is that it's very, one truffle grows very far from the other one. When you find black truffle, you find one, on black summer truffle, you have big chance that you have a four, five, six around that truffle. They grow as a family. White truffle grow as a long truffles, meaning you can find one here, find another one one mile down the road in the middle of the bush, which is going to be a huge job, but usually they grow in very deep and difficult place to hunt. So you need a lot of space. And a lot of work, a lot of dogs, a yeah. lot of people. It's very hard to find. And the thing is, you need a lot of time, you know, a lot of expertise. Yeah. How did your grandfather come to the business? Where are we from? Truffles are normal. Everybody truffle, everybody hunt truffles, eat uh, home. But the business didn't start exactly with truffles because no one at that time could survive only with truffles. Truffles was one main product, but we used to sell olives, we used to sell olive oil, we used to sell other products of that other farmers cultivated around our uh, village. We push more on the direction of truffles. There was more possibility to grow around and we focus on the specific product. But truffle, we start as a food company and we specialize on, you know, a few years after on the truffles. Every family, they have uh, the home truffle dog. You know, not professional, but they have a small truffle dog. They go out. If they don't, they have a friend, they have a truffle dog. I know a truffle dog. <laughs> Sitting right over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John. <laughs> they don't go out to find kilos and kilos of truffles, but they go out maybe 10 times. They take it as an excuse to walk. And uh, like playing golf here, basically. They find a little truffle, they bring home, they freeze, they eat it during the year, they give us a gift for Christmas. That's what we do. That's how we grow up. Everybody for gift. If you don't have truffle, they give you for Christmas. We grow up with a flavor in our dishes. I think John, I want that for Christmas this year. Okay. I'm just yeah. letting you know. Instead of a lump of coal? <laughs> yeah. You want a lump I would like of a truffle? lump of truffle, please. No problem. I was going to say, that's one of the really nice things about going to Italy. When you go to a restaurant there, particularly, you know, you don't have to go to a Michelin-starred restaurant 
to have this amazing truffle experience. You can go to a trattoria or a small osteria. There's not the same amount of pomp and circumstance around eating truffles there. It's really great to just go and, and they are on the menu a year round. So if you have not been to Umbria, save some money, take a trip, take the family, take your dog if you want to find some truffles. It's really quite fascinating. It's a lot of fun to go truffle hunting. Do you take visitors to if people want to go truffle hunting? Oh. I know I know you've had some big celebrities to visit you guys. Yes, we did uh, some big uh, celebrities. Uh, we got Oprah. Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey, yeah, Winfrey came for truffle hunting with uh, Gail King. And we went uh, for four or five days of uh, my property. That was good. Was Oprah's good. a big truffle uh, lover. Oh, she's a big truffle fan. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she loved truffle and she loved truffle hunting. She came because uh, she was a customer and uh, one of my employees, uh, her uh, talking about uh, having her bucket list, the desire to go on truffle hunting. And uh, with the following order, I sent a writing note and told her, if you want to come truffle hunting, I leave next month for Italy. And she answered to me, I'm coming. Yeah, let me tell and you. she came for you. I, I was hanging out with Federico one afternoon, and he's like, hold on one sec, John. Uh, it's, uh, Oprah's calling me. <laughs> I was like, oh, excuse me. No, but, you know, she, she she's nice. She's a normal person. And, yeah, uh, of course. And she love, uh, she's a truffle lover. That's awesome. We Did you guys her. find a lot of truffles together? We find a few white truffles. Nice. It was a truffle season. It was October. We find a few white truffles. We enjoy eating there and having chef cooking many dishes. It was, it was cool. It was cool experience. All right, let's go back to truffles. How much does a truffle hunting dog cost? Black truffle dog. I mean, a dog that find black truffle can go from... Uh, thousand to four five thousand dollar okay not and bad. Uh, depends on the experience it depends because it's easier to find black truffles so there's a specific dog for black and a specific dog for white truffles yes and I there is a technique also a long distance dog short and now i tell you a white truffle dog can go to answer to to five thousand to ten fifteen thousand times sometimes twenty thousand if you have a champion and also when they go out to truffle hunter they have different dogs they have dogs for long distance and dogs for short distance. What that means, if you go in a huge big forest, big size dog can smell now from here to mile down the road. And they tell you in that big area, you have truffles. But when he's on that area, cannot find truffles. And then they take other dogs, smaller dogs, that can, in that specific area, can find the truffles and dig the truffles. Very fascinating. That's that pretty, is so cool. Yeah, that's very cool. I've never heard that before. Yeah. So you, oh, got yeah. your, you got your sprinters and you got your marathon yeah. runners. How do dogs get trained to hunt truffles? Every truffle hunter starts to train them home, play with food. And first they take like a, a little ball and uh, maybe they put some piece of truffle on it and uh, smell like truffle. They play like a, a catching ball and the dog bring back that ball smelling like truffle. They give a little reward like a, a salami or something yummy for the dog. Every time they make more difficult. Instead they throwing the ball, they hide behind a furniture or behind in the dog uh, until uh, the dog is getting so fixated with this game that they try to put underground or below the ground, behind a tree, and, and, and it's became a job. The following step is going truffle hunting with a, a new dog and an expert dog because the new dog will follow, always try to compete with the, with the expert dog, and that's how they get training, but it takes it take years. So yes, some dog is uh, instinctively. Go there very fast. Someone take a ear, so you'll never get it. Blows my mind that this is the most expensive food on the planet. There's no technology with all of the money that's spent trying to, you know, learn about truffles and find out about truffles. There's no technology 
better than the nose of a dog to find these. It's wild. Yeah, Those it's, dogs should be asking to get paid. That's true. They get treated very well, I can yeah, tell sure. you that. And about answering your question about yeah. the nose, the technology, we tried, everybody tried, no one succeeded. But if you think about even the airport, you know, the, how much technology, how much, how much money the U.S. government could have spent to basically find drugs or other illegal stuff on the airport, they're still using dogs. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is incredible. In Umbria, where your family is from, is near the town of Norcia, not yeah. too far away, which is famous for black winter truffles, perhaps the best in the world, the best black winter truffles. Black winter truffles, though, even though they are still very expensive, those can be cultivated and versus the white, which you know we talked about, those are 100% wild. So there's now truffle plantations around the world. I don't think a lot of people realize that you can actually farm raise black winter truffles, which are you know these really prized truffles. And yes, you can, and uh, it's not an easy task. You know the technique change, and uh, now is pretty pretty good compared to 20 years ago. And uh, you see many countries, and uh, probably is where John wants to go, many countries, they never saw a truffle in their life. Now they're big producers like Australia, Chile, and, uh, and other countries that are on, on coming. Yeah, well, careful. I see Andrea's, her eyes lit up when you started talking about planting them and stuff like that. She's got a roof garden in New York City. I do. And I she's got her dog, plants. Archie. <laughs> I, he's I, a beagle, so he's a hunter. Yeah. So him and I, we're going to go training. Well, and well, Next thing you know, you're going to have a uh, little truffle plantation on the roof of Andrea's building. <laughs> She's going to start digging into your business here. Don't give away too many secrets. How many trees are you planting a year? Right now in Italy, we planting about uh, 10 to 12,000 every year. And we planting a lot. The demand in the world of truffles is going up every year. It's growing and growing. And the, with the climate change, it's very difficult to find black truffle, always more difficult. With our plantation, we still have a wild natural product. We can control the watering. And uh, basically, as a company, we want to invest on planting more and more to have to be sure to have truffle for our customers. Uh, to also traceability is another reason. All our plantation are USDA organic certified, and basically, we try to uh, give our customers the safety to buy product that they know where it came from. I would put truffles on anything, pretty much. Are there specific dishes in Umbria that always have truffles on them? Or is it more just always shaving it on pasta, shaving it on eggs? Is, or is it more of like a free-for-all? Obviously, the main dishes are pasta and eggs. Like you mentioned, risotto are the king of truffle. Everybody uses 90% use on that. But I think with these new chef, with new ideas... Uh, and uh, they put truffle be on, uh, on everything, meat, fish, and uh, you use basically, in, in any dish you can use truffles, and uh, we need people like you that love yeah. truffles. <laughs> we need more. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like every time I you know, look at my telephone, there's a new truffle company in yeah. the United States. Sabatino was one of the original companies here. There's, I can think of one other truffle company that was in the United States before Sabatino or around the same time. What was your experience like when you guys came to the United States? I was taking care of Europe before we were everywhere. The next natural steps was uh, United States. We didn't have much. We exported before I came, but it was very sporadic. It was not a really a steady business. I came here because I thought there would be a, a future for this market for us. And when I came here, like you said, you know, the market was virgin at that time. You know, they were probably one to come on me ourselves and another company. It was very early, but in the market too was very immature at that time because uh, uh, truffle was a more specialty than now. 
we used to sell truffles to very high-end restaurants, so, you know, super expensive restaurants in a big city like New York, San Francisco. And then uh, with time, uh, we talk uh, the the truffle became more and more popular, even because we created the product that make the truffle more affordable. Like Oprah say, we democratize the truffle, which is true in a way to make more affordable, more easy to use. In addition to fresh truffles, Sabatino also sells preserved truffles. Uh, truffle oils, um, Chef's Warehouse. We have a great history and yeah. partnership with you guys because we sell so many of these. We sell the fresh truffles, obviously, but we sell so many of these preserved products, the canned truffles, the you know paste and purees salt. and salt. One of the great things I think that Sabatino has done is that you guys have production going on in the United States for these products. And I so that and I think that's amazing because it really it it helps you guys to be really well priced. I think there's a quality control and there's a comfort level knowing that it's produced in America. We don't have to worry about shipping delays and all of these other issues and tariffs that arise. How did you guys come up with the idea to actually start production in the US? You know, and uh, it was 2004, 2005, and uh, we were bringing many products by container like anybody else from, from Italy. At that point, it was difficult because uh, U.S. like comfort, like to order last minute, and it, the, the programming and the planning was really hard. I saw many of the competitors were always sold out because you t- on the end, you place an order, the manufacturer, the ship here past two, three months. I said that to my family in Italy, why we don't open, uh, find a place here in the, in the U.S. instead import. We import bulk one, twice a year, and then we repack here in the U.S. We don't only save on shipping because, you know, we can buy everything else in the U.S., the small ingredient jars, but also we can plan much more. And the customer can buy last minute. They don't need to buy huge quantity. So you're actually producing truffle oil, truffle salts, the truffle peelings, shave, all those things in the U.S. Everything's manufactured in the U.S. All the ingredients, the the raw material we call uh, the truffle, come frozen one twice a year. In that way, we can control the price because if we give a, a price to a customer like you guys, we don't need to change if the exchange rate go up and down, if the boat is delayed, if the shipping cost go up and down. Why? Because we can narrow down the shipping into one month, and uh, we know that for the year we're there with pricing. That is one advantage. And we start with one product, and now we manufacture everything in the U.S. And how are you making truffle oil? I think most chefs, you know, if you are not, if you can't afford and you want to have truffle on your menu, the immediate next purchase would be truffle oil. How do you produce it? You know, truffle oil had a lot of bad press. A yeah. lot of bad press because in reality, in the beginning of the process, a lot of companies use chemical product to infuse that product. We are the first company to produce, to extract the product naturally from truffles. We are the only product they are fully vertically integrated. We don't buy flavors. We don't buy extra. We do it ourselves. If you guys visit our factory in Italy, you will see that we have extraction room we take our truffles, so much fresh, come in, and we extract all the flavors. And what do we do? We make basically a basic extract of the truffles, uh, white and black, and uh, we blend into our products. So all our products are naturally flavored, in label, non the speech. We put our sign on, our, uh, our name on, because that's what we do. And basically, we do an extraction. There is a process with steam that we is able to extract the flavor, and we blend it with other um, products. I think that's so important, John, because I I do think that truffle oil kind of has a bad name in the industry uh, for like that chemical 
taste. And I think knowing that Sabatino is doing it right, you know, you're going to be getting a really high quality truffle product. Yeah. And it's important also because we talked about the how expensive fresh truffles are. Mm-hmm. Not every restaurant can afford a fresh truffle. I'd say less than 1% of the restaurants in the United States. Yep can actually afford to use fresh truffles on their menu. The flavor and the aroma of truffles, we spoke about it with Rowan earlier. It's magical and people want to experience truffles. And so when you have truffle oil or truffle butter or the preserved truffles, you're offering luxury with value. And that's really important, especially in today's climate for a restaurant to be able to do it. And I also will point out, this is nothing new. People have been preserving truffles in France and Italy for 200 years. It's true. What are your top selling preserved products? So you have truffle oil, truffle butter. What else? In 2017, we had a new product called Truffle Zest. It was the first in the category. It is basically a truffle seasoning. We were able to put our extract product into a powder and uh, mix it with truffles and other spices. Basically, we create a truffle spice. You sent us some samples and they came in this like big plastic bag to the sales team. And I, <laughs> I took a handful and I you know, took them home. I put them on popcorn. I sprinkled them on eggs, like everything that you could possibly put on truffle. Like I did it. I would say so truffle good. zest is probably the most innovative new truffle product to come out in the last oh, absolutely. 50 years. Absolutely. You know, when I, after truffle oil. Exactly right. It's, it's really because it's, it's great. And, and again, it's all natural. It's all natural. It's got such a, a pure smell of truffles. I tell you, the first time I smelled it, I was like, wow, how do you make this? Yeah. Don't tell us how you make it. That's a secret, <laughs> but really great product and an exceptional value. Absolutely. I mean, it comes in like a little shaker, a little bit goes a long way. The aroma, to your point, is so intense and beautiful that I think any chef would be silly not to use it in their kitchen. Yeah, so chefs and people at home, go seek this out. It's called Sabatino Truffle Zest. They're the only people in the world who make it. You can find it in gourmet shops. The chefs can find it from their specialty food distributors. Chef's Warehouse obviously carries it. This is an item that people should really be taking advantage of. It's also very easy to use. And because everybody, even yesterday, someone asked me at the company, visiting the company, how I use it. My answer is the same. Do you know how to use black pepper? Yes, perfect, same thing. Yeah. Well, you would put black pepper, you would put truffle zest. It's a spice. Here's a funny little tidbit for you, Andrea. So, you know, most white truffle, what's the average size of a white truffle, Federico? Is it uh, an ounce? Is it a half ounce? Yeah, it's probably 20 to 30 grams. So like a little grams. smaller than a golf ball. Exactly right. Do you know that a few years ago, Federico's family found the Guinness World Record largest truffle on the planet? Take a, I want Andrea to guess how big it was. It was a white truffle. Uh, one kilo. That's 2.2 pounds. All right. Well, um, that's a pretty good guess. Federico, how big was that truffle? 1.85 uh, uh, kilos. Uh, kilos. Basically, yes, three point was... A, three and, yeah. and a half, wow. three and half, half pounds. pounds. That's huge. It was big. Like He's a football. Is this and, the one that you bought, John? No, I didn't buy that. Oh, I thought you bought the... Oh, that was... No, that was, uh, that was only 2.2 pounds. That's back why in, I said a kilo. <laughs> back, in the, back in the mid-90s. No, Federico found an even... They found an even bigger one. Who bought that? How much did that sell uh, for? We, we sold that for uh, 70, I think around six to 70 grand, $70,000 was sold by Sotheby's and was bought by Jack Ma in uh, China, the, the owner of Alibaba. 
It was for charity. Yes, yeah. uh, we donated everything to charity. It was big, like a. Like what did it look like? It looked like a big brain. <laughs> you could like picture like shaving it like on like a slicer or something just because yeah. it's so big. I hope the oh. dog who found that one got a whole like piece of prosciutto, like a whole leg. Oh, it got a lot. Trust me. Could you imagine the look on the truffle hunter's face when like he started digging that one up and go, oh, what, what's going on here? How yeah. long does it take to grow a truffle that big? Uh, we guess estimate that it would take the same time. Basically, in June is when the spore are probably one, mil- one two millimeters, very, very small underground. Then depends on the rain of the summer. By October, the, October, November, they should be mature. Basically, from uh, June, July, August, September, like four or five months, full size grown. So how does it get that big? It just keeps growing. That's crazy. The truffles have a relationship with the tree that they're growing next to. So it's like this symbiotic thing. Mm-hmm. There's a small, invisible, almost like an umbilical cord that goes from the tree to the truffle. As the tree gives nutrients and things to the truffle, the truffle returns moisture and other sugar. minerals and sugar and, from and the soil back to the tree. Yeah, basically, as, uh, it's exactly right. It's a symbiotic relationship between the tree and the truffles. And why truffle? To get big like that is very unique. You know, answering your question, very unique. You know, there was one truffle found right. like that. Well, this has been an awesome discussion. We could talk for hours and hours. I am so fascinated. I still have I wish hundreds of questions, so we'll have to have Federico back. But thank you so Anytime. much. We love Sabatino Truffles USA. We love Sabatino Truffles in Italy. Uh, they've been a great partner of Chef's Warehouse. And uh, we look forward to some amazing stuff coming ahead in the future. Perfect. I, I want to thank you, Chef. Uh, thanks, Chef House, for having me and being a great partner. And looking forward to coming back anytime. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Ingredient Insiders, where chefs talk. Like what you hear? Write us a review and follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.